Vaughan, and tonight's second Bible reading text is Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 39. It can be found on page 1184 in the Pew Bibles. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than just conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. Well, good evening. Um, if you could keep your Bibles open, that would be great. We're going to be working through uh, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to pray before we start and then we'll make a start. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us through it and through your Son, Jesus. We ask now as we come before your word that you would pour your Holy Spirit out amongst us, uh, encouraging us and convicting us where necessary. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome along. You've heard a lot of times, but welcome to our youth service tonight. Uh, it's great that you're here tonight, both because it's good for you that you're here, but also because it's good for me that you're here. Um, see, me looking out and seeing all these young, youthful faces helps me to feel young. Uh, now, you might look at me and think that I look quite good, and I'm not that old, but I am actually quite old. Uh, I'm 30 now, and so I realised as I was thinking about it this week that I am more than double the age of some of you guys here. And so that made me feel old. I tell Cassie all the time, uh, it's downhill for me from here. I'm just going to get worse and worse. But I console myself by realising at least I'm not as old as John is. At least John is much, much older than I am. Or even more so, at least I'm not as old as Chris is, who's probably like four times as old as some of you guys here. So, nevertheless, uh, I'm getting old, and so looking out and seeing so many young people helps me to feel young, and so it helps me to remember back when I was your age and when I was young, back when I had my whole life before me, when I had all my hopes and dreams that were there waiting to be fulfilled. And so I thought what I'd do is share with you some of the hopes I had when I was younger. 
And so, believe it or not, uh, I didn't always want to be a minister when I grew up. Uh, I actually had high hopes for life. Well, that's a high hope, but other high hopes for life. Uh, I wanted to become a Pokemon trainer. Uh, I desperately hoped that they would invent Pokemon in real life, and then I could go and hunt them down and then become a Pokemon master. Uh, Sadly, they never invented Pokemon, so Pokemon Go was the closest I ever got, Uh, but that was good. I also had the hope of getting married. I wanted to find a wife. And so in God's kindness, I did, and I'm married now, and it's actually our wedding anniversary in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Just a a tip for the guys here, uh, don't ever forget your wedding anniversary, it's not a good thing to do. But that was a hope I had. Uh, Just one more hope that I had in life, Uh, I actually wanted, I hoped and wanted to become a professional AFL player. Um, I'm not sure how I was going to balance those two careers, a professional Pokemon a hunter and a professional AFL player. I'm not sure how I was going to do those at the same time, but that's what I wanted to do. And so that's a few hopes that I had in life. And so I wonder what your hopes are in life. See, hopes are what keeps us going. Hopes are what keeps us moving forward. And so let me ask you young people here, what are your hopes in life? Now, maybe it's that you want to do well at school. You want to study hard and get into the ideal uni course. And so maybe it's something like uh, law or engineering or medicine, or maybe if you're the best of the best, the most elite, you can do what I did and become a school teacher, but only if you're the most best of the best. Or maybe it's something else, maybe you can't wait, your hopes are that you'll find a partner, that you'll get married and you'll have lots of kids. See, what are your hopes in life? And let me ask you, parents, what are your hopes in life? What are your hopes for your kids? Maybe it's the same thing, that they'll get into uni, that they'll get a good job, and that they'll be able to be successful in life, that they'll have kids, and they'll have kids, and you'll get to have all the fun of babies without the nappies and the sleepless nights as your grandkids. Or maybe it's something else, maybe you hope that your kids will be successful, and that they will fit in wherever they go, that they'll always be able to make friends, that they'll never be teased, that they'll never be excluded, maybe you hope that they'll fit in. What are your hopes? See, we all have hopes. We all have hopes for life. The problem is, though, that our hopes can be dashed. Our hopes can be shattered. See, I might get my VCE results back and they're not the score I wanted to get. And so I can't get into the uni degree that I want to get into. And my hopes are shattered. I might never end up finding someone to get married to. And so I end up single for my life. My hopes are shattered. See, our hopes are what keeps us going, but what do we do when our hopes are shattered? Well, what we need is a hope that won't be shattered, a hope that won't let us down. That's what we need, every single one of us, that's what we need. Young, old and in between, that's what we need. We need a hope that won't let us down. And so as we look at our passage today, that's what we see. We see a wonderful hope that won't let us down. We see a hope that's all about a hope now, a hope for the future, and a hope untouchable. That's what we see in this wonderful passage of Romans chapter 8. So first up, we can have hope now, in this wonderful hope of God. We can have hope now. Why? Because God's working for our good. That's what we see. Have a look at verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. See, in everything, whatever happens, whatever comes my way, I can have hope now because God's working for my good. 
Now, is that what God does for everyone? Or am I just special? Well, what does it say? God's working for the good of young people? God's working for the good of old people? God's working for the good of 14-year-old boys who never clean their teeth or have a shower? Who's God working for? No, God's working for the good of those who love Him. So, in other words, God's working for the good of His people. God's working for the good of Christians. Which means that it's only Christians who can have hope now. Because only Christians have God working for their good. What do you think about that? How does it feel to know that, that if you're a Christian... You can have hope now because God's working for your good in everything. How does that make you feel? And I wonder, is that actually what it feels like? I mean, think about it. Does it feel like to you God is working in everything for your good? Are there times you can think of where it doesn't feel like God was working for your good? I'm quite sure that for every single one of us, we can think of times, we can think of times where it didn't feel like God was working for our good. A few months ago, I had to go into hospital unexpectedly. I was just minding my own business at home and I got, my phone went off and it was the doctor on the other end and he said to me, basically, you need to go to the emergency department right now. And so I did and I went in and I spent the whole weekend there in the emergency department, in the hospital. I had about 50 blood tests over that week, so my um, my arm looked like a pincushion. I had this giant thing stuck up my hand. I had CT scans. It was all this stuff over the weekend. To make it worse, uh, I'd had plans for that weekend. It was actually meant to be the youth leaders retreat that weekend. So I was meant to be off with the other youth leaders, uh, having fun and talking to them. I was looking forward to I was particularly looking forward to talking to Jono about how Melbourne's going to make finals this year and St Kilda's not going to. So I had these high hopes and high plans for that weekend. But they were all dashed. And so I can tell you what, it did not feel like God was working in that for my good. That's not what it felt like. And I, can sus- I suspect that you can think of times where it didn't feel like that either, where it didn't feel like God was working for your good. Why is that? Well, I wonder if it's because what God's idea of what's good for us and what our idea of what's good for us is vastly different. See, what do we think is our good? Well, I suspect easy life, comfort, success, that's what we think of. But what does God think is good for us? Well, have a look at verse 29. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, the ultimate good that can happen to us is that we can be shaped to be like Jesus. That's the good that God's working for for us. He's using everything that happens to make us more like Jesus. So much so that we're actually shaped to be like his brothers. And so um, some of you might know this already, some of you may not. Uh, I'm actually a twin, an identical twin. And so whenever I tell people that, they always want to see a photo. So I'll give you a photo. There's um, There's my identical twin. And so as you can see, we look extremely similar. So similar that if you saw him, you might think it was me. In fact, for all you know, I might not even be Ollie. I might be Ollie's brother standing here and you wouldn't know. And so we look so similar that uh, what used to happen, particularly when I was at uni, uh, I used to have people come up to me all the time and start talking to me that I I didn't know who they were and they thought I was him. 
And so um, my usual strategy was to see how long I could keep the conversation going for before they realised that I wasn't who they thought I was. But um, yeah, that's, that's how identical we are. People, we look so similar that people used to get us confused. And I wonder if that's a bit like what God wants here. I wonder if God wants us to be so similar to Jesus that people could almost mistake us for him. And so that's the good that God's working in us to shape us, to form us, to be so like Jesus that we're like his brothers. That's the good that God's working for. How does it work? What does it look like? Well, think about it. Um, have you, so think about it. Um, if I study hard and I put in countless hours and then I bomb out on my test, how is that, how is that making me more like Jesus? Well, maybe God's teaching me that I've got to be more dependent on Him. Maybe God's teaching me that He's the most important thing in life, not my results. Or if my relationship breaks down, I break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend who I thought I was going to get married to, how's that making me more like Jesus? Well, maybe it's teaching me, God's teaching me that I should be dependent on Him, that He's the most important thing, not other people. See, God's using whatever happens in our life to form us and shape us to be more like Jesus. It's so different to what we want, isn't it? It's so different to what we're used to. I wonder if any of us have ever actually hoped for this kind of thing. I wonder if any of us have ever hoped that we'd be more patient. I wonder if any of us have ever hoped that we'd be more generous with our time and money. I wonder if any of us have ever hoped that our kids would be more humble. See, that's what we should be hoping for. That's the good that God wants us to be hoping for. That's the good God's working for in us. And we can be sure that he'll succeed because verse 30, God's sovereign over everything. God's in control of everything. We can be absolutely sure God will succeed at his good plan. And so how do we cope when our hopes get shattered? Well, we remember, we have hope now. We have hope now because God's working in everything for our good, even when it might not feel like it. See, this is a hope that won't let us down. But we don't just have hope now. That would be good if we did. Having hope now is a great thing. But that's not all that we have. Because we also have a hope for the future. A hope that lies in salvation. A hope that when we die, when we go and face God, we'll be accepted into heaven. We'll get, be given eternal life. We'll get into heaven where there's no sickness, no pain, no sadness. We'll have eternal life. That's the hope for the future. And we have hope for the future because of Jesus' death. That's what we see. Have a look at verses 31 to 34. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who did, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, I can be confident of my hope for the future because of Jesus. He lived the perfect life for me and then he died in my place so that I can be saved and be with God. Because of Jesus, I can have hope for the future, a hope of salvation and eternal life. See, whatever happens, no matter what happens to me in life, 
no matter how badly my hopes might be shattered and destroyed, no matter what happens to me now, I know that I have a hope for the future, a hope of eternal life. See, it's so much bigger than what we hope for, isn't it? So much bigger, so much more permanent. See, we hope for jobs and comfort and relationships, but this just dwarfs them. This is so much bigger. Why hope for those things when we could hope for eternal life? See, sure, what happens to us hurts now, but in a sense, who cares? Who cares if my hopes are dashed? Who cares if I lose those hopes as long as I have this hope of eternal life, this hope of salvation? See, when I'm in year 1954 of heaven, I'm not going to remember that I broke up with my girlfriend when I was 14. See, I'm not going to remember because heaven is just so much better. Heaven is so much greater. Why hope for these small things when we could hope for eternal life? See, that's the hope we have, a hope for the future because of Jesus' death. But what if God changes his mind? What if God decides that he doesn't want to give me eternal life? Well, we can be confident that that won't happen. Why? Because he's already given us the best thing he can give us. He's already given us his most valuable gift, Jesus. And so if he's already given us the most valuable gift that he has, why would he not follow through and give us the lesser thing? I mean, think about it. Imagine someone came to you and they said, I'm going to give you the best gift possible. And so for me, that would be an Xbox. So they came to me and said, here you go, here's an Xbox. Uh, If you're looking for gift ideas for me, uh, hint, hint. But so they come to you and they say, here's an Xbox. Sorry, I forgot to get your batteries though. I'll go and I'll buy batteries for you and I'll come back and I'll give you the batteries later. If that happened, would you doubt that they're going to give you the batteries? No, like they've already given you the most expensive part, the Xbox, dwarfs the cost of the batteries. So of course they're going to follow through with the much lesser gift if they've already given you the best gift possible. And it's the same thing here, that's what we see. God's already given us his son. He's already given us Jesus. So why on earth would he not give us the lesser thing? See, we can be confident of this hope for the future because of Jesus. Even more than that, we also have Jesus there interceding for us. See, it's not just the Father who loves us and cares for us. That would be good if it was. He's a great God who cares for us well. But it's not just the Father who cares for us. It's the Son who cares for us as well. Verse 34, he's there loving us, trying to intercede, making sure that we have good and that we're taken care of. It's not just the Father, it's the Son as well. And so we can be absolutely sure about this hope for the future. See, this is the greatest thing we could hope for, salvation and eternal life. But sadly, I think we don't always actually hope for this. This is not our biggest hope. So so often we chase after and hope after much lesser things. I remember in a previous church that I was involved in, Uh, For lots of the parents, their biggest hope for their kids was that they'd succeed in their studies and get into a good degree. Now, that's a good thing. We want our kids to do well and get into good degrees. But they were way more concerned about their studies and their results than they were about their salvation and their eternal life. They cared more about the marks that their kids got than about how their Christian faith was going. And so let me ask you, is there something lacking there? Had the parents at that church, had they missed it? Were they hoping for something much lesser? A hope that's much lesser than the hope for the future. 
I know of another church where a minister friend I've got that works there. Uh, do you know what some of the parents do? What they do is they use youth group as a punishment, or at least they withhold youth group as a punishment. So you didn't do your homework, no youth group for you this week. Uh, you hit your brother, no youth group for you this week. They take away youth group as a punishment. And so they care more about the behaviour of their kids than sending them to youth group where they can get built up and taught the God's Word and pointed towards eternal life, towards eternal salvation. And so I wonder if they've missed it. I wonder if they've missed this great hope, this eternal hope, this hope for the future. See, it's so important that we don't because this is a hope that won't let us down. And so we have hope now and we have hope for the future. But what if something happens? What if somehow something in some way separates me from that hope? From that hope now and the hope for the future? Well, that's what we see in these last five verses. We see that the hope we have is hope untouchable. It's a hope that can't be taken away from us. See, all of our other hopes can be dashed and shattered in an instant. Imagine if you're about to go on your holiday of a lifetime, going to Europe, you're going to tour all around Europe, and then the day before you go, you get badly sick. You can't go on your holiday and your hope is dashed. Or I'm ready for my last VCE exam, I forget to put on my alarm and I sleep in and miss the exam, hope dashed. See, there's so many ways that our hopes can be dashed, can be taken away from us. All of our hopes can be touched, they can be taken. All of them except for this hope. This hope is untouchable. There's nothing that can snatch this hope away from us. And so isn't that funny? The lesser hopes are so much easier to pull away from us, whereas this much more valuable, this greater hope is untouchable. Nothing can take it. So we have hope untouchable because of God's love. Have a look at verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We consider the sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we look at that, we're meant to be amazed at just how untouchable our hope is. There's nothing that can take it away. Even the worst that life can throw our way, famine, sword, death, persecution, the worst that life can send our way can't take away this hope that we have. Verse 36, even if it looks like we're losing, even if it looks like we're, being, we're facing death and that we're considered like sheep being slaughtered, even when it looks like life's at its worst, we still have hope because we're more than conquerors. See, this is genuinely hope untouchable. There's nothing that can take it away. I mean, how amazing is that? And just in case though, you're a pessimist like I am and you're trying to figure out whether there's anything that's not, that's not included in this list and therefore something that can take it away, he ends with a, um, with a catch-all, doesn't he? He says, nor anything else in all of creation, just in case you were thinking something else, it can't either. And so it's this wonderful, untouchable hope. How amazing is that? How great is God's love for us that nothing can separate us from it? 
He won't let anything separate us from his love. And it made, it made me think, as I was reflecting on this, how does that love compare to our love? Our love that's so fickle, that can be taken away in an instant, that can be separated. How does our love compare to that? Parents, how does your love compare to that for your kids? And so I, I say this humbly, uh, I don't have kids yet. Uh, hopefully one day I will have kids, but I don't at the moment. And so I say this humbly, acknowledging that I'm not a parent. But one day when I am, I hope to be like this. But even the best that we can give to our kids, even the best love we can give to them is nothing compared to the love of God. And so the best thing we can do for our kids is to point them towards this love of God, to make sure that they're inside the love of God because it's so much more valuable than anything else. That should be our greatest hope for our kids. See, if they're not in this love of God, then they're missing out. If they're not in this love of God, then we haven't given them the best thing possible. This untouchable hope is the most valuable thing we can have. It's hope untouchable. And so, that's our passage. It's a wonderful passage, isn't it? An incredible passage of hope. We can have hope now because God's working for our good. We can have hope for the future because of Jesus' death. And that hope is hope untouchable because of God's love. We know this. This is the hope we have as Christians. And so, let me say two things. Let me say two things. Firstly, don't miss out. Don't miss out on this incredible hope that we have. See, it's the most important thing that we could ever have. It's so much more important than any other hope I could have. Don't miss out on this incredible hope. And secondly, don't forget this incredible hope. So it's easy to be weighed down by the burdens and the difficulties of life when things don't work out. It can be easy to, be, to forget this amazing hope to forget that God's working for our good, to forget we have hope now and to forget that we have the best thing coming up, hope for the future, salvation, eternal life. See, when we feel down, when life seems to be beating us, this is the incredible hope that we have. This is what keeps us moving forward in life. This is what keeps us going. And so at the start, I asked you, what are we hoping for? What are our hopes? Well, hopefully we see that this is what we should be hoping for. We should put our hope in God's hope. A hope now because God's working for our good. A hope for the future, a hope of salvation because of Jesus' death. And a hope untouchable because of God's love. What are our hopes in? And so as we close, I want to share with you a story about a guy called Nathan. Uh, once in a while, you come across people who have, who have their hopes lined up with God's hope. And so let me tell you about Nathan. Nathan did have his hopes lined up with God's hope. Nathan was a fairly regular 15-year-old boy. Uh, he loved his mates. He loved football. Uh, he loved his church youth group. He had lots of hopes and plans for life. He had goals and dreams that he wanted to achieve. But you know what happened? At 15 years old, Nathan was diagnosed with cancer. And in an instant, all of his hopes and dreams were snatched away, were shattered. Imagine that. Imagine being Nathan. Some of us here are 15 tonight. 
Imagine being told that you had cancer and that you were likely to die. Imagine having all of your hopes and dreams snatched away in an instant. How do you push on? How do you keep going when that happens? Imagine being his parents, seeing their son told, you've got cancer and you're going to die. Losing a son at 15, imagine being his parents. How do you push on when all of your hopes and dreams that you have for your son are snatched away in an instant? How do you push on? Well, Nathan and his parents were both Christians, and so his parents had taught him from a young age of this incredible hope of Romans chapter 8. And this was one of the, and that's what they used to keep going. In fact, that's the passage that Nathan had read out at his funeral. He had this passage we've looked at tonight, the passage of an incredible, untouchable hope. And so, in fact, what it enabled him to say was this. Let me uh, read out a quote for you that Nathan said just before he passed away. So he said, earlier this year, I was told I was probably going to die. It shocked me and I started to really think and worry about death. We all go through hard times and have problems in this world, but no matter what happens in life, the only thing that really matters is trusting in Jesus. How incredible is that? The only thing that really matters is trusting in Jesus. The first time I read this, my eyes filled with tears. Here's a 15-year-old boy facing death, his life snatched away, hopes and dreams shattered. And yet he can say the only thing that really matters is trusting in Jesus. And that's because of the hope that we see in this passage. A greater hope, something far better than marriage, than uni, than all of the things we hope for in life. See, this is an untouchable hope that can't be shattered. It's a hope that won't let us down. And so I'm not in the horrible situation that Nathan faced. And I suspect and I hope that no one here is in that situation. But isn't it wonderful to be able to look at someone who faces such an incredible thing and see such an example of this hope that we have from the passage? Isn't this such a wonderful example of having your hopes in the right place? And so even though we're not in the same situation as Nathan's in, it's still the same hope that we have. The hope that he has is the hope that we have. It's God's hope. A hope now, a hope for the future, a hope untouchable. It's a hope that won't let us down. I'm going to pray and thank God for this wonderful hope. Let's pray.